If you have your Bible, you can turn to the Song of Solomon or Song of Songs, as it's uh, sometimes called. Uh, we're going to be today in chapter two of the Song of Solomon. And I, I just wanted to just thank my wife and the mom of my two kids, Sydney and Sean, for that song. Thank you so much, Cynthia. That was so sweet. It was a little mean to make me preach right after that, all right? Because I am a crier, okay? So anyway, that was a lot of fun. But um, uh, I just want to once again say happy Mother's Day uh, to all of you who are here, who are, who are serving the role of a mom or are moms. And uh, I know that for some of you, like me, like me, excuse me. <clears throat> that wasn't that wasn't me crying. That was uh, something in my throat. Uh, I know that for some of you, um, Mother's Day can be tough. And I woke up this morning praying for those of you who have lost your mom. Uh, I was reminded last night that this is the fifth year, fifth Mother's Day without my mom, and uh, that can be tough. Uh, but at the same time, once you once you kind of get past the sadness, um, we think of our moms and how much they loved us and how much they cared for us. Uh, in most of those cases. And today we are kind of, we're turning the corner here, kind of uh, heading, I guess, into the home stretch these next few weeks in our series called Unstoppable. And, and I want to talk a little bit about love and about passion. And I want you to think for a moment about the first time you fell in love. Think about the, the feelings that you had. Think about how excited you were about being in love. And some of you are like, wait a minute, you got Valentine's Day and Mother's Day mixed up, Todd. You're, what direction are you going in here? I promise we'll bring it around. Uh, I, Cynthia and I are, uh, we're going to be celebrating 24 years uh, coming up here in a few weeks. And uh, so we got 25 years come up of being married, uh, a quarter of a century. I don't think it's possible because I'm not that old, uh, but it is. So uh, 1995 is when we got married. And I remember uh, when I fell, when I first fell in love with Cynthia, we were um, in college and uh, some of you know, last week we were in Denver, and while we were there, we met up with the couple that we date, dated with um, in college, and um, he introduced Cynthia to me, and she introduced him to his now wife. We're both in the ministry. We both started churches. It's really strange, but uh, we had a good time uh, catching up with some old friends back in Denver at a pastor's conference, um, and, you know, it reminded me of those those like initial days when, when I fell in love with, with my wife. And, and I, I don't know about you, but like when, when you're in love with someone, you, you want to like spend time with them, don't you? You want to spend money on them sometimes in a lot of cases. You want to talk with them and you want to talk about them. Your whole kind of world centers around the, the object of the person that you love. And I got thinking about that, you know, sometimes in a marriage or in a dating relationship, as time goes on, um, sometimes that begins to fade. It's easy for that to happen. And sometimes the time that we once spent with the person that we love, it begins to fade. Maybe even the money that we spent begins to fade. Some of you are like, amen, Todd. He needs to hear that right now. Sometimes um, like our, the object of our affection, it begins to fade. And often the reason that's the case is because distractions come up. Things in our life comes along and tempts us to get our minds and our hearts and our eyes off of the one we love. And that is true about our first love. That is true about the one we love. But it's also true spiritually in our lives. That we often get away 
from our first love. And the Bible's clear about one thing. God loved us. That's why he sent his son to die on the cross for us to give us salvation. But when Jesus gave the greatest command, he told us that what we need to do, the greatest thing that we can do is to love him and to love others. There's this great situation happening. It's recorded in the book of Mark when a couple of the disciples are kind of really trying to be the best of the disciples. And so they come to Jesus and they say, what's the greatest thing that we can do? What is the greatest commandment of all these different commandments? And I love what Jesus said. It's recorded in Mark chapter 12, 30 to 31. He says this, and you shall love the Lord your God, he says, with all your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And then in verse 31, he says, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no greater commandment than these, commandments than these. And so Jesus gives us the instruction that our goal in life is, is to love him, that our goal in life is to be a lover of God. Why is that the case? Why should we be people who love God? Well, we're created to love God. God's greatest commandment is that we love him and love other people. And, and I got to tell you, when you begin to look at his commandments to us, he put those in place for his glory, but he also put them in place, I want you to hear this, for our good. And it's for our good that we love him. Why is being a lover of God the goal? Because our passion for God is going to precede our purpose from God. We've been talking in this series, Unstoppable, about God's purpose for our lives. We began in week one by talking about what that purpose is. Last week, uh, Justin, our student pastor, I think he's here, over here, um, Justin delivered a message about really planning and preparing to be a be someone who's on purpose for God. And uh, how many of you were here last week, by the way? Um, didn't Justin do a great job last week? I just want to thank him for standing in, man. Thank you. We've got an excellent youth pastor and his wife, Andrea. They do a great job. It's just a sweet family. And uh, man, I'm really thankful that he was uh, willing to give me a week off, but also deliver an amazing message. You know, this whole idea of being a person who has a love for God is not something new in Scripture. Um, and it's something that as time has gone on, we as, as humans have developed. In fact, there's this thing called the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and it asks questions about the faith. It was developed centuries ago. And one of the main questions is, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and, and to enjoy him forever. And essentially, if you even summed that up, what it means is to be someone who loves God. But as time goes on, we begin to allow very simply, because of distractions and temptation and sin, we begin to allow our love for God to begin to fade. I bet if you stopped for a moment and thought about that time when um, you first fell in love, and I bet if you thought about the, the time when you accepted Jesus as your Savior, I bet you can find some similarities there. I bet you can find some characteristics about you, some actions that you took that were very similar. And the problem is, is that we're really excited about our relationship with, with Jesus in the beginning, and, and then time goes on, and things come up, and life happens, and our love for him often begins to fade. Today, 
What I want to talk about is how you and I can be people who are unstoppable at the end of our lives in terms of our faith walk because we returned to our first love. I told you at the beginning to turn to Song of Solomon chapter 2. And for those of you who know the Bible well, you're like, it's Mother's Day and you're teaching on the Song of Solomon, Todd, where is this heading? Because I don't want to have that conversation at Mother's Day lunch, okay? I promise you it's going to be fine. This is a book that was written, it begins in chapter 1, it was be, uh, written by Solomon, King David's son, but it was probably also written by others who contributed to it. And it's, a, it's really essentially a romantic love poem, and it goes into some detail about the love between a husband and a wife. But in the first part, it's talking about the courtship. It's talking about falling in love. And it's talking about the importance of, of what it is between a husband and wife to have this love for each other. But there's also a jump that we can make in terms of a metaphor. Because that is not only a picture of the relationship a husband and a wife should have with each other. But it's also a picture of the relationship that we should have with Jesus. And Solomon comes to this kind of poignant message here as he's talking about courtship and falling in love. And he says this, he writes this in Song of Solomon 2, verse 15. He says, catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. <laughs> Some of you are like, this is weird. Why is he saying this in the midst of this love letter to his, the person that he loves? And I think what Solomon is trying to paint a picture of here is, is that there are things that crop up in our lives. He calls them little foxes here. And I think we're going to show a picture of some foxes here up on the screens. Now, I want you to check this out because um, I don't know about you. That guy down on the left, he's pretty cute, isn't he? I mean, wouldn't you like to take him home? <laughs> Like, I love the picture that he paints here because, like, when I look at this little fox cub, now, I, how many of you have seen a fox in real life? Yeah. How many? Yeah, all of you. You almost live in Hilton Head Plantation because there's one there. It's either that or a stray dog or a coyote. I don't know which, but there's something out there. Anyway, it doesn't look quite like that, does it? They grow up. They grow up to be like that and even worse. Sean, when he was little, um, he, he had a Halloween costume, um, and he was a fox one year. And I thought about bringing the mask in, but it's so scary that I didn't want to bring it in church. And it still is up on his shelf in his closet, and sometimes it'll fall out of the shelf and down on the floor, and I open his closet, and I'm terrified. It's horrible. It's hideous. So you see, the little foxes are the things that Solomon talks about here that will get us distracted, and it'll give our minds and our eyes and our hearts distracted from the object of our first love. And he's saying here that our job is to catch those foxes, those little foxes that spoil the vineyard. You see, this little guy is going to grow up to be that guy, and he's going to tear up a vineyard that's in bloom. And you see, spiritually speaking, that's what happens with the little things that we don't think, I want you to hear this, church, that we don't think right now in our lives are a big deal. But they can grow up, and they can tear up our spiritual lives. You see, the little foxes, spiritually speaking, are the small distractions and temptations that lead us 
into sin and lead us into a sinful lifestyle. And that ultimately leads us to spiritual destruction and a life that's off purpose. Little foxes are small distractions that diminish and take away our love for God. The small foxes are things that steal the joy and the love that we were intended to have for Jesus. The small foxes are the things that very slowly, while we're not really even watching, take our eyes and our minds and our hearts off of Jesus. They're often little in size, but captivating in distraction. And those little foxes, if we're not careful, can cause us to go down a road that is dangerous and ends up in spiritual destruction. When I was 40 years old, um, I found out that I have ADD. ADD is uh, attention deficit disorder. Some of you probably are with me on this. I found out at 40 and the rest of my family went, yeah, we knew from birth, pretty much. Never tested for it, but we knew you had it. My family has fun with that. They have fun with that whole ADD thing. And I remember sitting in a classroom many times, taking a test, having studied for the test, really focused on the test, in the middle of the test, and something flew by, maybe a bird or a squirrel jumped by the window, and I was completely turned, distracted on whatever it was out there, and that was it. I was done. And I'd like to blame all of those bad test grades on that thing, all right? I should have been in a classroom with no windows. And I wonder if we spiritually ought to have in our lives some means of protecting where our eyes go, protecting where our minds go, and protecting our heart from being distracted away from the first love, which ought to be Jesus. Part of the reason um, that, uh, well, Cynthia and I, in 2015, after my mom passed away, we took, um, took a trip up to uh, Northern California. There was a, a pastor's conference about every other year or so. We try to go to a conference, and we went up to Northern California and went to this conference with pastors. And on our way up there, we drove right through Napa Valley. And some of you have been to Napa Valley. It's absolutely beautiful. I hear they're recovering from the fires of this past year pretty well now, which is great. But in Napa, there are all these vineyards. Yeah, those are me and Cynthia right in front of one of the wineries. We took a tour of a lot of these wineries. And the first thing that stood out in October, in the fall, when we were there, was all these beautiful flowers. Check that out. There are the vineyards in the background. And there are these flowers right in front of all these vineyards. And I remember pulling the guy that was giving us a tour of one of these wineries. I said, what, what are all these flowers about? They're absolutely beautiful. Roses and just absolutely beautiful, stunning flowers. Um, some of them are wild flowers. Some of them are, are just, you know, beautiful uh, flowers. It's just amazing. Anyway, he, he went on to say, uh, you know, in Hilton Head, if we plant flowers, it's, it's for the look, right? Like we plant flowers because it looks nice. They plant flowers out there. They call it a cover crop. It's a cover crop. And the whole purpose of these flowers is not necessarily for beauty, but it's to trap. In fact, they call them trap crops as well. It's to trap and to collect and to attract insects and disease that would normally target the vineyard. Isn't that great? Man, I love that. I remember telling Cynthia five years ago, I'm going to keep those pictures. I can't wait to talk about that in church because that is a great metaphor. It really is. And when Solomon talks here about the spiritual foxes and catching them, I immediately thought of these cover crops that are so beautiful, but they're purposeful. 
And church, what would it look like if we, Hilton Head Island Community Church, took our love of Jesus so seriously that we would develop in our lives spiritual cover crops to help distract those things that would normally distract us from God. See, I think that's what catching the little foxes is all about. I think it's going into life, as Justin talked about last week, prepared for what's coming up. Prepared to be able to withstand the enemy that comes our way. And today, I want to talk about what I think are three things that we need to have in place that will help us to be unstoppable, that will help us to endure spiritually with God till the end. Because let's face it, we all have things in our lives, myself included, that will distract us from the Savior, from Jesus. And we need to be prepared to withstand that. The first thing that I think we need to have as a spiritual cover crop is the idea of an awareness of the ambush that exists. That's the first one, is that we need to have an awareness of the ambush that exists. I've got a friend, and some of you were in the military. He uh, served in Iraq, um, and his company, he talked about the fact that when they were engaged in urban warfare, that one of the most important things when they went out during the night or they went out during the day was being prepared at every single turn because every turn was a possible ambush. And church, I want you to hear that that is the case spiritually for you and for me. That every turn that we have in our lives is a potential spiritual ambush lurking around the corner. Now, we don't need to go through life scared. We don't need to operate with a spirit of fear. In fact, we need to operate with a spirit of strength. But we need to understand that for each of us, there are going to be temptations. There are going to be distractions. There are going to be things that try to pull us into sin. And once we've gotten captivated by sin... Our eyes and our heads and our hearts are off of our first love. And so the first thing I think we need to do is be aware of the ambush. Jesus told us, it's recorded in John 10.10. He says the thief, he's talking about Satan there. He's talking about the evil one. Comes only to steal. I want you to think about this for a second. To only steal, kill, and destroy. That's his only purpose, is to steal and kill and destroy. And he says, but I have come, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I love that contrast. Listen, spiritually speaking, for you and for me, the way that Satan wants to get us is not with the big foxes, it's with the little things. It's with that little thing that draws us back to an addiction that we had months or years ago. It's the little point of conflict between a husband and wife that ends up being a huge, huge gap in the relationship, maybe even destructive. It's something maybe in your workplace that you are always turned by. Maybe it's money, fortune, or fame. Maybe it's some kind of um, academic pursuit that like controls your life. Maybe it is an addiction. Maybe it's a job, students. Maybe it's a relationship that you've got at school in your classroom or with someone in your neighborhood. Husbands and wives, moms or dad. Maybe it's the fact that like school is almost over and you are praying that it gets done. And a week later, you're praying they go back. You know, that's the way it goes, moms and dads, right? 
Maybe we get distracted with our kids' success in life, moms and dads. Maybe that's the thing that distracts us. And I want to encourage you to find your abundance, not in the things of this world, but I want to encourage you to find your abundance in Jesus because he's the one that came to give you life and give you that life abundantly. Paul speaks about this spiritual struggle in his letter to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. He says this, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. That's the evil one. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, he says, take up or put on, that's what that means, the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And so I think our first spiritual cover crop is this an awareness of the ambush that's lurking out there for us. Satan wants to get us down. And listen, church, if he can distract each one of us individually in the place where we're most vulnerable, he's got our whole church. But imagine, imagine what we can do if we can get a handle on this. If we're prepared, if we're ready, if we're ready for that distraction that's coming around the corner, you see, an awareness of the spiritual ambushes is essential. It's essential to withstanding the spiritual temptations that it's not a matter of if they're gonna come up, but it's a matter of when. We need to begin with an awareness of spiritual temptations, spiritual ambushes. What distracts you from Jesus? What kind of things come up in your life that moves your focus from him to something else? Maybe today is your day to give that to him. Are you ready for the spiritual surprise that's gonna come up, maybe even when you leave this room. Are you ready? The second cover crop I think we need to have is simply time with God. If you think about that time that you fell in love and the time that you fell in love with Jesus, you'll, you'll see some common characteristics. You see, we need to have relentless protection of our time with Jesus. Once we lose the focus on spending time with him, it's an indicator that maybe we've lost our first love. John speaks about this when he wrote Revelation and he wrote to the church and he tells us that we've got to get back to our first love. He says this in Revelation 2, 4, and 5. He says, but I have this against you. He's talking to the church, capital C, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. He's talking about the love for Christ. But then he says this, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the work you did at first. If not, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. I don't know about you, church, but I want us to be a, a spiritual lampstand. I want us to be a light in a dark world. And John's warning there is, is that if you and, and if, if we together as his church ignore those things in our lives that turn us 
from our first love, he's going to go ahead and turn our lamps out. I don't want that to happen. I want us to be a light in a dark world. I want us to be a light in this community. I want us to be a light in this region and beyond. And we can do amazing things, not on our own power, but when we understand that we've got to spend time with him. Regular time with Jesus reveals and renews our first love with him. I'm just going to be honest with you. Part of the reason that Cynthia and I get away every once in a while is is just to spend time with each other, renew our love for each other. Because sometimes being in the ministry, I know what y'all think about the ministry. Y'all think this is like, I just work one day a week and like all this just happens and it's fun and we've got staff members that do everything. Man, it's a lot of work and believe it or not, sometimes that causes some, some conflict and it's difficult sometimes. And we have to get away sometimes to fall back in love with each other. But we also have to get away to fall in love with Jesus. And I want to encourage you, if you've lost that love for Jesus, begin to do what two people who are in love with each other do, and that's spend time with each other. Spend time with him. I had to renew that in my own life this past week because the busyness of life sometimes gets in the way. I'm just being honest, even as a pastor. And sometimes we just have to stop and renew our love for the Savior. Regular time with Jesus reveals or renews our first love. And so have an awareness of the spiritual ambush that's going to happen. Have time with God that you're serious about. And then lastly is this whole idea of reliance on God. You know, I hesitated even jumping into a, a message series that's titled Unstoppable. Just because the very nature of it sounds like it's something that's built on self-reliance, right? And a lot of churches, a lot of pastors, they'll go there, they'll, 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 they'll preach the Bible and they'll preach the gospel and then they'll get to a point and they'll kind of say, you know, we need to be reliant on ourselves. And I got to be honest, I don't think they do it on purpose, but church, I got to be honest with you, that's the last thing that you need to hear from me. Because if we're reliant on ourselves, we're, we're just setting ourselves up for failure. The Apostle Paul writes this letter to the church in Corinth. And he says this, he's writing about his relationship with, with the Savior. And he says this in verse 9 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power, God's power is made perfect in weakness. Isn't that great news, church? I don't know about you. But that is great news for me, because I can very quickly identify what I'm weak in, right? And it's those very things that God wants to make you powerful in. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul goes on and he says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And then he says, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities, for when I am weak, then I'm strong. You see, this is not a time to go, oh man, I've got all these distractions, all these temptations. Oh man, poor pitiful me. 
uh, you know, I'm just weak in all these areas. This is an opportunity for us to identify these weaknesses and for us to rely on the power of God to give us strength through those weaknesses. Paul writes in his letter to the church in Philippi, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And I wonder how many of you are here today and you would just stop at the first part of that verse. Say, yeah, I can do all things. I can do all things. I can do all of this. I can overcome. I can win. I'm good. I've got it. I can cover that financial burden that I've got. I can influence my kids for the good. Paul says, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, says, I can do all things. What's the rest of it? Through him who gives me strength. And maybe today your spiritual cover crop is moving from a place of self-reliance to a place of total God-reliance. Maybe that's what it means for you. An awareness of the ambush, time with God, reliance on God. Those are three cover crops that will help us to endure to the end. Those are three things that if we have those in our lives, we will have a greater chance of being unstoppable and doing what Hebrews says and enduring the race to the finish line. Imagine Hilton Head Island Community Church, what we can do for God in this community and around the world if you and I have these things in our lives. Imagine what he is going to do in and through us because of it. See, we can withstand small but destructive distractions when our first love, our first priority, and our first purpose is Jesus. Let's make him our first love. And I'm just going to be real with you for a second. Some of you walked in here today and you're like, I can't say that I need to return to my first love because I've never invited Jesus to be my first love. And maybe today is that day where you establish that first love. Maybe today is the day that you accept him as your savior, that you have the hope for eternity settled beyond a shadow of a doubt. Wouldn't it be cool if on Mother's Day 2019, you knew where you would go before you die? And I'm going to give you the opportunity to, to ask Jesus to become your savior today. But for those of you who are already Christ followers, I think a day, today is a little bit of a day of like confession, admitting maybe where you struggle with temptation and distraction and maybe even sin. I had to do this last week. And I've told you before that God doesn't allow me to preach on something that I haven't experienced, either before today or, wow, I really hate it when it's after today. <laughs> and so I want to encourage you to just take a few minutes when we begin to pray here and just talk to God, just you and him, admitting what that thing is that has got you distracted from him. Would you join me in prayer this morning? God, we thank you so much for the gift of salvation. We thank you so much for the gift of abundance and abundant life in you. God, we thank you that you've called us to a purpose. We thank you that you give us the ability to plan and prepare for what that's going to be like in life. But God, I pray in this room right now 
that you would be with each Christ follower, each believer in you, each person who has already accepted you. And maybe over time, their eyes and their mind and their heart has turned cold to you. And if they were really honest, it's not because of something that someone said. It's not because of something someone did. It was just simply not being ready for the ambush. And maybe something else right now has their passion. I fight this each and every day. God, I admit that I fight this each and every day. And if you're here today and you're a Christ follower and you've got something right now in your life that's causing you to turn your head away from Jesus, I want to challenge you and encourage you to to get that settled today, just to talk to him about that, to admit it to him, to ask for his strength, to renew your time with him each day, to get back and renew your first love. And so right now, just in the quietness of this place, just for a moment, I'm just going to allow you to do business with Jesus. Maybe there's something that really has turned your head and your eyes and your mind and your heart away from him. Why don't you just tell him that just right now, just in the quietness of your heart. Admit that, give it up to him, and ask him to give you strength to get over and to get through that thing. just pray for everyone in here in this place who identified something that they're struggling with. Father, may you take those things. May you be the Lord of that, the God of that. May you help us to have our eyes focused solely on you. Maybe you're here today and you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior. The whole thing that we're talking about, this whole idea of salvation is the story of God choosing to love you so much that he would send his son, Jesus, to die on the cross, to rise again three days later. And maybe today is your day when you ask Jesus to be your savior. If you're here and you don't know where you would go when you die, I I wanna encourage you to just pray this prayer. I'm gonna pray out loud. You can pray it silently to God right now. It's a prayer of salvation that goes like this. God, thank you for making me. Thank you for loving me enough to send your son Jesus to die for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. And right now, I accept you, Jesus, to be my savior. Just in the quietness of this room and with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you prayed that prayer along with me, I'm just gonna have you raise your hand so I can pray for you. I won't embarrass you, I promise. Awesome, awesome. Anyone else in this room, just raise your hand. Awesome. Keep them up for a moment. God, I pray for these who have their hands raised. God, I I thank you for them. I thank you that they have accepted you as their Savior, and I pray that you would help them to live for you now. You can put your hands down. God, I thank you for 
all that's going on in the life of your church, in the life of your people. God, I pray that you would lead us to a place where we are unstoppable, not on our own strength, but God, we are unstoppable because we so rely on you and our passion is turned so much towards you. Help us to do that and help us to accomplish all that you want for our lives and for this church. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.